Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. Hello, everyone. Did you have a nice time on Thanksgiving? I'll just call it that, Thanksgiving. Now, those of you not in America, I have already deeply offended and I apologize with all my soul because you do not celebrate Thanksgiving on the day we do. But even for those who do celebrate Thanksgiving, I have a thing or two to say about it. So I was thinking today about my friend Stephen Mitchell's book, The First Christmas. This is just out, you guys, and you should go and buy it for your friends. It's a really, really lovely retelling of the birth of Jesus story, which is interesting because my friend Stephen, who has translated some of the most beautiful spiritual works um, in English that are now in English, um, I mean, they're beautiful because he put them in English. He was born and raised very Jewish and is now kind of Buddhist and kind of just, uh, I don't know, agnostic atheist. I don't think he'd call himself anything because he doesn't really believe in stories anymore, even though he's telling stories. And this is like a really lush, rich, beautiful, like psychologically insightful book. And part of it is from the point of view of the animals in the stable where Mary and Joseph go. And they all have different perspectives and different points of view and different stories. And I was thinking about this on Thanksgiving because one of my children, who is not a child anymore, but always a child to me, said, um, why don't we cut out the whole pilgrims and Puritans thing? Like, because I'm not so sure I want to celebrate the forceful eradication, enslavement, and basically the genocide of massive numbers of Native American people. And I, I said, you, you make a solid point. And they said, why don't we just put all the holidays together and have one huge feast in the, in the wintertime and put in everything we like and take out everything we don't. Because the holidays are based on stories. And the stories have gotten built up and built up and built up until they carry this incredible amount of psychological baggage. And everybody remembers what went wrong on Christmas, right? By the way, this is a terrible thing that they always took out of my Oprah columns. But I said it every year. And I'm going to say it again. Christmas Day is the day when the most people die on an average year. I don't know if they were waiting for Christmas or if it's like, Merry Christmas, I'm out, or what it was. But we all remember bad things happening on Christmas that we wouldn't remember happening on like July 10th or whatever. And the reason is that the stories of a culture are like pushed into its traditional celebrations. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing that the whole culture can kind of come together and share traditions and share celebration and certainly gratitude. But when the stories get too involved, uh, things can get really sticky. Now, when I was a child growing up, we were told, for example, the story of Thanksgiving being largely the work of the good Indian Squanto. Now, please know that I say that with intense um, quotation marks because they were calling him the good one, like all the rest of them were bad. No very bigoted point of view, but Squanto was the friendly Indian. And he came and he befriended the, the, the Puritan settlers and he taught them how to grow crops in a way that uh, saved their lives because all their crops were failing. 
And um, he made peace between them and the local Indian tribes and basically gave them a foothold in the North American continent. Well, then I grew up, and this is what we heard. Every Thanksgiving, we would color pictures of Squanto, the friendly Indian, which are now intensely offensive. I get that. Even more so because it turned out when I was like 40, I read a different story of Squanto, the friendly Indian. He was actually, the, the name he chose for himself was Tisquantum, which means the wrath of God. So that couldn't be all that great to begin with. But he only gave himself that name after being, his real given name was Buhach or something. Anyway, he was originally one of the Patuxent Indians. He was kidnapped by a dude, an English dude named Thomas Hunt in the, the 17th century, who took him back to England and sold him. No, took him to Spain and sold him. Then he escaped, went to France, where he learned the techniques that he would later teach the pilgrims to grow their crops. Those were from France. Okay, then he goes to England, where he apparently hung out a bit with Pocahontas. No lie. I've been told this is the anthropological truth, historical record. Then he finally gets a ride back to the Americas to find his tribe and finds out that they all died in the massive plague that followed the arrival of Christopher Columbus and his many... Um, you know, uh, infectious diseases. We can all identify with that these days. So he renamed himself to Squantum, Wrath of God, because he must have been pretty pissed off. And then he went back and he was like, all right, well, I don't have a tribe. I might as well hang with these English dudes because they were going to need me. And thus we have the first Thanksgiving, which was, of course, all about God wanting the Puritans to inherit the land. I don't think so. So I tell you all of this just because... I wanted to mess with your heads about the stories you've been told about holidays and don't even get me started on Christmas. Like it used to be a pagan um, celebrate, like feast day to Odin, uh, who was a very scary god, flew around the sky, seeing if people were bad, killing them if they were, giving them bad luck. Um, in in uh, Rome, it was Saturnalia, the feast of Saturn and Christmas Day was the day of Mithra, which is a whole Zoroastrian thing about the birth of the sun, which came out of a rock, unless you think that it is just a cosmic principle of cohesiveness, which is probably closer to the truth. Are your Christmas memories getting richer even as I speak? Oh, and by the way, uh, Christmas, they think Jesus was probably born in the spring sometime because why else would be the shepherds be out herding their flocks? But they put it on December 25th because that was right in the middle of all these sort of solstice day holidays. And it was done by Pope Julius I around 350 AD. So when they read you the Christmas story, we used to, uh, growing up Mormon, uh, all the families would gather around and read from the Bible. And that's one story. That's one story. <laughs> Stephen tells a different and much more, um, I think it's a really fun story. I think I think Stephen's story of the first Christmas is just delicious. But the point is, all of it is just stories. It's all just stories. And it's stories that come down from all these traditions, from all these genocides and massacres and festivals and good harvests and bad harvests and not death and over. It's all just this big mished up story. And so is the story that each of us has to tell about our own holiday season. I'm gonna ask for a glass of water here, just one second. Um, so some of you may know that I have been 
working on my amygdala lately. Um, you know, I always make one New Year's resolution. And this year, mine is to get in shape in the center of my brain. Uh, so the amygdala is this little piece of brain that's, thank you very much, that's inside all our heads. And if on the left side of our brains, the amygdala there tells us when to be in fight or flight mode. So there's danger, there's an attack of some sort, go into either run, 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 fight, 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 or if all else fails, faint and be play possum for a while. So the amygdala gets more and more anxious, and I talked about this a few weeks ago. What happens to us is somebody tells us a story, like, guess what, you guys? New COVID variant. Yeah, just after you bought your tickets to South Africa, which is literally true for me. Yeah, South Africa, I hope for not very long, but who knows, right? So the, the story of um, the Omicron variant is just breaking as I speak this, for those of you listening in the future. And I remember when the Delta variant was announced, being terrified. And then, of course, when they first shut down the entire everything for the original COVID-19 virus, I was terrified. But this year, I'm working on my amygdala. So I'm sitting in my house listening to my loved ones reading me about the Omicron and I my cortex says oh danger my amygdala, amygdala goes Wah! and immediately freaks out and I'm pumping adrenaline and I, my heart's speeding up like a bear is in the room but because I am minding my amygdala and I my whole resolution this next coming year is that I won't allow my brain to sustain a state of fight or flight if it is not coherent with the truth of my immediate present environment. So if there's nobody threatening me in the room, when they told when my loved ones were reading about the Omicron virus and I was drawing and I was like, oh, oh dear, I deliberately stopped and said, there is nothing here harming me. I'm going to turn down my fear response. Now it worked for one reason, and that is that I have been practicing. I've been practicing retelling stories. I've been catching every story that comes into my head. And if it has a fight or flight reaction, I stop and I say, is this story signifying a real and present danger? If not, my resolution is calm the F down. <laughs> now, I've been watching this for, I don't know, three or four weeks. My life has changed dramatically. The reason I'm doing this is that the observer stance toward one's own fear takes the it interrupts the pathway between the cortex and the amygdala uh, so that it doesn't just repeat and go back and forth and back and forth like a feedback screech where a microphone feeds into an amp which feeds back into the mic and back into the amp and it goes that's what happens with the amygdala and the cortex there's danger oh my goodness there's danger oh really there's danger okay oh this must be really bad oh goodness the cortex said it's really bad okay and it just goes so this is one reason why in 19, sorry, in 2019, about 10% of the American population uh, was, uh, had diagnosed anxiety disorders. And in 2020, it was 40 million people, 400% increase. And it's because mainly of the stories that have happened in the last little while. So I've been, I get up in the morning and I realized that every single morning I tell the same story. And I want you guys to just see, it may take a while. It takes a lot of focus to like 
check this out and see if it works. But t I promise you, it is so worth it to be off the fear train. I wake up every morning like this. <gasps> <laughs> and the reason is that I have this intense ADD. And the only way I got through school and then college and graduate school and then work and everything is that the very first thing I tell myself in the morning is there's something you should be doing and you should be doing it right now. And if you don't do it, bad things will follow. And I woke up this morning and I went, ah! wait, is this true? And then I thought, the gathering room. And literally my heart rate, ah, ah! my cortex said to the amygdala, gathering room, be afraid, be very afraid. And my amygdala was like, right, bear, bear. And I was like, wait, no, stop. I love the gathering room. <laughs> like hundreds of my dearest friends, like people that I feel connected to around the world are going to show up to hang with me for half an hour. And I'm saying to myself, this is scary. Are you kidding me? So I stopped it. And I actually watched my heartbeat go down. I could feel the change as the adrenaline that was all ready to flood went back to its sort of normal levels. And I got up and thought, oh, this is going to be a wonderful day. Now, if we can start to tell the stories, do what my kids said. They, they are, um, uh, what is it when, oh, I always get stuck on these things. Non-binary. They're non-binary. So they have they, them pronouns. pronouns. Yes. So my non-binary kid, kids, when, when they said, let's just blast all the traditions away, gather all the parts of the stories we like the best and put them together and have a big blowout fabulous feast just because it's cold and dark in the northern hemisphere well I decided I'm going to do that with every single day like I'm going to get up and blast the stories every day and take the parts I like and put them together and say oh here are the three things that scare me about the gathering room maybe the tech won't work maybe I will throw up maybe I will talk about my lady parts by accident um, you never know. And I have to let those stories go from being the dominant story and go to, oh my God, this incredible technology. Can you believe this is happening? Can you believe I just sat down with my phone like three years ago and started doing this? And now we all get together every Sunday, pretty much. The stories change, the mood changes, the day changes, whether it's Christmas day or today, or a day in our history, personal history, or world history, where everything went wrong, find a way to tell the story that brings you joy. It's a little bit like Mariko Kondo in her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, where she says, go through all your possessions, and if they spark joy, keep them. If they don't spark joy at all, throw them away or give them away. They are not meant to be yours. So what I want you to, let's all think as it's cold and dark in the Northern Hemisphere this time of year, and it's hot as blazes down in the Southern Hemisphere, let's all think about how we can tell the stories of every single day of this next month, December, this massive holiday month all over the world. Let's make it the kind of day we want instead of the kind of day we think we, was handed down to us by unfortunate circumstances. So that's what I have to say about that. And I would like to take some questions now. All right. Uh -huh. Go over to the questions. All right. Amanda says, good morning from Australia. Australia. 
Human beings are so keen on stories. Can they be used for good? I think that, I think there's nothing else that can save the world right now. You want to change the world? Find a good story. Max Weber, the great sociologist, um, wrote a book in like, I don't know, 28 short volumes. They aren't short. They're huge. They're doorstops called Economy and Society. And he said, economy drives where society is, that is the motor that pushes a society. Like how are people getting food? How are people getting shelter? How are people getting power, wealth, and status? But the, the switchman is the story of the culture. The switchman who decides which track the train is going to go down. Weber compared society to a train because he didn't have other vehicles. So the economy is so powerful, but where it takes us is, is turned by stories. So if you can tell a story that makes you feel generous and well provided for and happy and uh, loved, if you can tell those stories to yourself about yourself, even if you have to really scratch for cohesive details, it'll start to change you. And if you can start to live those stories, if you can start to be a part of other people's stories so that they, they have stories of good things happening to them because you came along, everything starts to shift. And if we get together as a culture and tell different stories, we can really make some progress. So Jessica says, I've been working on this when I wake at night. Can you share what phrases you say to yourself to shift to the observer stance of the fear? I don't use phrases, which is a really good point because that's the cortex going to work and it's very effective. But to get to the pure observer part, what I use is scanning of the physical symptoms of anxiety. So I start to say, oh, heartbeat rising. Okay. Where are my muscles tense? Just trace them. Oh, could I relax that a little? Okay. Um, oh, how's my stomach? Is it clenched? Is it relaxed? What's going on? And I just go up and down my body looking at sensations because the amygdala is very primal and it doesn't understand phrases. So going to it through the neocortex is okay, but going to it through direct sensory experience is much more powerful. So actually switching away from words and into physical observation, I think has been what put this thing on steroids for me. I mean, you guys, I've been sleeping so freaking well, I'm afraid to even talk about it because I have a story that if you talk about it, Earl, the god of horror, will, call, will get on your back and never let you sleep another minute in your life. That's my story. I'm going to get rid of it soon. Okay, Jody says, Marty, what about the idea that in the current world we need to predict future present dangers to get ourselves off a path that means we end up there and have literally zero options to keep safe? Climate change is a big example, but there are lots of day-to-day -day examples too. Yes, uh, the problem is that the vast majority of stories that we tell about the future never come true. And that includes even stories of environmental disaster. Um, it was predicted in the 1970s that by the year 2000, we would all be gone. Um, a lot of technological uh, advances came to allow for a much larger population that didn't create the same amount of trauma to the environment that would have been done in 1960s, 1950s technology. That doesn't mean <laughs> we're out of the woods, you guys. There are hardly any woods left. But let me tell you this. Um, 
Another thing I learned recently was that there was a, a little ice age in like the 17th century. I had known about that. What I didn't know was it, that in the horrible plague that came to the Americas via Columbus and a runaway pig, 95% um, of the population of the Americas died. It was, I think, like one-third of the people on Earth. It was the most massive and horrific plague in history, which is horrible. It also caused the Little Ice Age, according to this one report that I just read, because those people weren't using cooking fires anymore. And so there was, there was a, a greenhouse effect going on even then. What this says to me is, yeah, we can change the environment, and we better be like, let's change it back, why don't we, before we're all dead. This would be a nice way to proceed from here. But when I read that about the Little Ice Age being caused by this plague, I thought, good Lord, we actually have the potential, if we did something drastic, to bring a cooling effect back to the world. Like, we, could, we have the power to change climate if we take it deliberately and we do everything we can to change it back. We can cool down the planet. It's happened before. I don't want it to happen the same way. But look at the power we have. So by not saying this is for sure going to kill us, by saying, look, we came up with the brilliant things that made this tragedy happen, maybe we can come up with even more brilliant things that will cool things down again. If we tell that story, we're still looking at the future with, a, with an open set of eyes for science, but also the space for imagination that we can create things more powerful than anything we've seen so far. And that is what humans have kept doing year after year, decade after decade, century after century. So yeah, I do believe that it's good to know the science and learn the stories, but also keep your imagination open. What I don't believe is that there's any story where there is zero hope for anything good to happen. I think that's a story, I'll, I'll, I'll go to my grave refusing to accept that story and then I'll die and I'll be like, oh, it was right, I had no options. But then I'll, I'll either be dead or still conscious and then it all starts again anyway. So yeah, know the truth, but keep your hope. Jackie says, so do you have to notice the unconscious patterns to incorporate that into your formula or is it simpler than I'm making it? You do notice patterns, but they can't, they're usually quite simple. They go like, if you're dealing with the amygdala, this is how the pattern goes. <gasps> That's kind of the pattern. <laughs> and then you can sort of trace backward when that happens. You go, okay, wait, wait, what just happened? And that's how you track that, oh, that story came back again. Literally every morning I, I wake up thinking there's something very hard to do and I have to do it or terrible things will befall me. Every single morning, really. I don't think that's the truth. I think that's just a psychological pattern. Yeah. So done with debt, congratulations, says, I have PTSD after nine weeks of having my baby in the NICU. Oh my God. Have to figure out how to retell the story in a way that isn't sad. I wouldn't do that if I were you because it is sad. And there's a kind of beauty in the truth of any situation, in the sadness, in the anger, and even in the fear. Once I, <laughs> I had, I set myself to figure out what plant consciousness is like. So I stayed up all night one night 
and I talked to the trees and I took dictation in Africa, South Africa. And um, one of the things the trees said to me is, one of the problems you have psychologically is you don't let in every spectrum, every part of the light spectrum. They said, you don't, we love all light and all the pigments of light together create a bright white light. So if you, if you have a white light that's shining like the sun and you put it through a prison, it breaks into a rainbow. And all those colors put together are the white light that our eye sees as just blankness. It's actually the presence of all color. So the tree said to me, <laughs> um, through my subconscious, I guess, it said, look, you even say somebody's yellow if they're afraid. You say they're blue if they're depressed. You say you see red when you're angry. And yet you want to live a life bathed in light without blue, yellow, or red, without depression and sadness and, and anger and fear. And I was like, well, yes, of course I do. And they said, well, why did you love the movie Shadowlands, which is one of the saddest things you've ever seen and made you cry and cry and cry. And I thought, because there was beauty in it. Um, and then they said, well, don't you love to hate people? I was like, no, I would never hate. And then they said, think. And I was like, okay, I admit, when Martha Stewart lost a decorating contest in prison, part of me was pleased. I am a bad, bad person. Anyway, they just went through, and I, of course I was making all this up, I guess, I don't know. But the point was that the full beauty of being human includes all these emotions. What we do is not tell stories with no sadness or anger or fear in them, but to tell stories in which sadness and anger and fear and all the other variations of those emo emotions as well as joy, they're beautiful. They can be folded into something beautiful. I would never want to lose the grief that I have felt for the friends I've lost, even though I don't really believe in death. Um, the, the sweetness that I think I came to this earth to go to collect, the memories I came to collect are fully shaped with all emotions. So what I would say is grieve until it no longer causes you pain and then keep that tenderness within you that you gained from having gone through something very sad and you will find that you have developed not PTSD but compassion and understanding and it's beautiful and I'm so sorry that happened to you. Okay, he prefers stars said, says, any suggestions for how to bring your family into the fold on changing your holidays traditions? How do you all navigate this? Or is it just sort of unfolding? It's just unfolding. I am fortunate to have very unusual people in my family, but in a way that's a choice. Um, but it really was great when my oldest said, let's rethink our traditions. Let's choose what we like and get rid of what we don't like. Um, let's ditch the stories we know are about something wrong that people called right. Oh, and by the way, I left out one little detail. You know who canceled Christmas once for reals? The Puritans, the very same people that I was taught to celebrate on Thanksgiving. They literally canceled Christmas. They thought it was terrible. Anyway, so yeah, it's sort of unfolding, but get together with your loved ones who see eye to eye and just say, what would we do if we picked the parts of holidays we liked and didn't keep any of the rest? What if we did that? Just try it as an idea and then celebrate with the ones who agree with you. <laughs> so Anne says, what's the difference between finding a way to tell a story that brings joy and denial? 
the way to tell is that denial makes you numb and it makes you progressively develop all of the symptoms I wrote about in the way of integrity, sorry. When you lose your integrity, um, it's when you go into denial about what's true in your life and you start to, you get bad moods, then you get bad health, then your relationships fall apart, then you can't concentrate. In other words, the heart, the soul, the amygdala, they want a happy story, but they also want a true story. And that's the real challenge. Can you tell it true and tell it good at the same time? Can you tell it joyfully and tell the truth about the suffering? That's the fun of being human, you guys. That's really getting your hands in the clay. Okay, Catherine says, how do we recognize stories? What happens when there's no story? Do we have to choose a new story? No, we don't have to choose a new story. And when we get to no story, we simultaneously have all stories available to us and no story at all, which is present moment experience. And without stories, present moment experience, we learn from all the mystics and the sages, is blissful, incredibly blissful. Ah, very quickly, we have just a couple of things here. Christine says, a therapist said to me once, anxiety cannot predict the future. Mic drop, boom. I'm not even gonna add to that. That's perfect. Judith says, for those despairing right now, acid rain is no longer a thing. The hole in the ozone layer is healing. It's not going to be easy to turn the ship around, but it is possible. I love your story, Judith. I am in. I'm on board. And finally, Amna says, will you keep us updated on the amygdala project? Broadly applicable, including to me. Oh, you try and stop me. Because <laughs> I never, I never fought a story that I didn't tell absolutely everyone as soon as I possibly could. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming to the gathering room. Oh, and by the way, I wanted to tell you, if you want more stuff like this but funnier, try um, my podcast with Rowan Mangan, The Gracious Badger. It's called Bewildered. And that will help you scuttle all your cultural stories so that we can all have the best December ever. Let's have the best December ever, no matter what happens. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I love you. Thank you. See you next week. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but 
I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.